We're turning in God's word this evening, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, please, in the chapter 4. 1 Samuel, in the chapter 4. We'd like to speak to you this evening under the title, Echabod or Ebenezer. Echabod or Ebenezer. And we're reading from 1 Samuel 4. And we'll just read the first few verses for now. And then we'll work our way through the passage as we go through this evening. First Samuel, please, in the chapter 4, and we're turning to the verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, and it reads, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. We'll leave the reading there for now. We're going to take a look at the whole narrative in 1 Samuel 4 this evening. And truly there are challenges in this passage for the child of God and for the person who's never placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I trust the Lord will be pleased to speak to both sinner and saint alike in this place tonight. So if our Bibles open on our laps, let's come before the Lord and let's ask that he would speak in this place this evening. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we have now reached the most important part of our meeting. For Father, your word has now been read. And Father, you have promised that thy word is truth. And we know, Father, that when we open this book, that the voice of God speaks. So, Father, we know that your voice is speaking already, for we have read this precious word. And so, Father, I pray that you would be pleased to minister to God's people here tonight, that you would challenge their hearts. And, Father, I pray for those who gather and those who listen online, who haven't yet placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour, who don't know of that, Knowledge that one day they will stand in heaven as the men have been singing. Father, we pray that someone would see your glory for the first time tonight. Placing their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save your open blind eyes, we pray. Father, do this for your glory alone. We ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes preachers, when they're preaching the gospel... Uh, make the mistake of only presenting Christ as a preferred helper in life or, or just a great physician or, or a great psychologist or a great provider. And so the list goes on and I want to say that he is indeed all of this but God doesn't save us for a good life the way we would see it. First and foremost, why we need the Lord Jesus as saviour is because we need his mercy And we need his grace. Those who place their faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary are not just freed from the guilt and consequences of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ also saves us from the power and the grip of our sin. What every one of us in this room and what every person in this planet 
needs from God before anything else is his mercy and his forgiveness from sin and the cleansing power that's found at Calvary because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And on Sunday evening as we come, and Sunday evenings as we come to the presentation of the gospel, if we present the Lord Jesus as anything aside from first and foremost being the saviour, we present a false gospel. You see, to become a Christian and to be saved from sin doesn't mean that you won't experience trouble in this life or sickness or financial difficulties or many other difficult things. But to be saved does mean that you'll be spiritually rich, that you'll have Christ by your side through all the tough times that come in this life until one day he takes you home to glory to heaven when all the former things of this world have passed away. We're going to consider as we come to God's word tonight, we speak about eternal glory and how you can know that. And we're going to consider two names that are found in scripture tonight. One is found at the end of this chapter. The name is Ichabod. We'll think about him later on. Which means the glory of God has departed. And then a few chapters on, we'll consider later on in our meeting, is the name Ebenezer. And that means stone of helper. In other words, the things we do for God's help. So Ichabod, God's glory has departed. Or Ebenezer, meaning God's presence and help in your life. And I'm asking every person in this place tonight. And I include the child of God as I ask these questions. What place are you found in right now? Could the name Ichabod... Be stamped in your life. Is your fellowship with God what it should be? Is the glory of God presented in your life the way it was the day you were saved? Or is your experience Ebenezer knowing God's help each day? For the sinner tonight, the person who hasn't placed their trust in the Savior, could I ask you if you had a whole life with Ichabod, no glory of God? And if you weren't to come to Christ as Saviour, you could go out into a lost eternity and it would be eternal like a boat, no glory, forever. So the question we're asking tonight, to every individual in this place, is where are you find? Ichabod or Ebenezer? We've read the first few verses of this chapter together. Let me explain them and set the scene of 1 Samuel 4 for you. We have two nations, the nation of Israel, who are God's people, and we have the Philistines, who are the enemies of God's people. And these two nations are in combat with each other. They're at war. And any time these two nations are mentioned together in Scripture, they tend to always be fighting. And they're fighting over land. You see, God's purpose had been to give the Israelites the land, the promised land, but the Philistines were fighting against God's purposes and they were trying to drive God's people out of the land which God had given to them. And I want you to know tonight that God, he has a purpose for your life. Just as his purpose for the Israelites was to give them this promised land, God has a purpose for your life as well. God wants his glory and his presence to be with you in your life. God himself wants to have a relationship and fellowship with you. That's his purpose for your life. But there's an enemy still today whose name is Satan. And Satan wants to blind you from your need of God's glory and his presence in your life. 
And Satan wants to destroy God's purposes for your life. And just as Satan used the Philistines to fight against God's purposes in our passage, Satan uses many things to distract you and to pull you away from a life of blessing in Christ. A place of no glory. Echabod. Now in the opening three verses here we see Israel, they go to war with the Philistines and the Philistines beat them. In fact, they thrashed them. And 4,000 Israelites are killed in the process. And so the Israel, they retreat with their tails between their legs and they come back and in verse 3 they ask the question, why did the Lord bring defeat upon them? They say this, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Why has the Lord allowed this to happen? I mean, after all, these were God's people. And the Lord has allowed defeat to come upon them. And that's why we need to first of all consider Ichabod. We need to see their misplaced faith. And as the story unfolds tonight, we're going to find that the Israelite nation in our passage had got the wrong notion of God and they had a misplaced faith. And just like many people today, God was not in the place he should have been and they weren't relying on God, they were relying on other things. God's people, they've been defeated by the Philistines and so they get together and they're asking this question, what happened? Why have we been defeated? And they decide to bring something in called the Ark of the Covenant. Look at verse 3 again. When the people were come into the camp, The elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? And here's what they say. Here's their solution. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Now this is significant. Let me explain what the ark of the covenant is. In the Old Testament part of the Bible, the ark of the covenant, it was a rectangular box with a lid. And the lid was called the mercy seat. And on top of that lid or mercy seat, you would have seen, as you can see in the screen, there were two cherubim with their wings touching. And all together, what you see in the screen, it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was placed into the inner part of the Jewish temple or the tabernacle in a place called the Holy of Holies. And God told the people when they put this into the Holy of Holies and when they had this Ark of the Covenant, God told the people of Israel in Exodus 25, that's where I'm going to meet with you, that's where I'm going to speak with you, and there I will give you my commandments. Now, it's important. That box, it was a piece of wood covered in gold. The Ark of the Covenant, this is important, it represented the presence of God with the Israelites. That is why it was kept in the Holy of Holies. It represented the presence of God among his people, the Israelites. So why did the people then, in verse 3, decide and believe that the Ark of the Covenant would give them victory over the Philistines? Well, there had been many times in the past when the Ark had been used and they experienced victory. We could think of the battle with another nation. In in Numbers 31, they were in, in battle with the Midianites. And on that occasion, Moses sent them into the battle, and the ark was brought. The ark was brought with them, and God gave them the victory. 
And there were other times when Joshua was leading the children of Israel, when they were crossing the River Jordan, they were told, when you see the ark passing by, that's when you know you can go. And when the men who were carrying the ark of the covenant came to the Jordan River and they put their feet in, the river parted and the children of Israel went over. And this box, it represented God's presence with the people. You could think of the next thing that came along. Not only was there the crossing of the River Jordan, but the next obstacle for the Israelites was Jericho. And the Ark of the Covenant was carried around the walls and they defeated Jericho. And the Ark, so important, it represented God's presence with his people. So surely in our passage this evening, based on what happened in the past, if the Israelites go to war again with the Philistines, the ark with, but this time with the Ark of the Covenant, surely their enemy would be scattered and they would have the victory. That makes complete sense as you look to the past. Well, let's read on and see what happens. Verse 4, the two sons of Eli, who are called Hophni and Phinehas, they're the people who are responsible for carrying the ark and they carry it into the Israelite camp. And look at the reaction of the Israelite people when it was carried into their camp. Verse 5, it says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. That means the earth shook. The Israelite people, when they saw the ark of the covenant coming into the camp, they celebrated as if they had already won the war. And the Philistines, they hear this and look at the end of verse 6. They understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp and the Philistines were afraid. And in verse 10, we see the Philistines, they rise up and they fight. And Israel are defeated in battle a second time. And they retreat. And this time there are 30,000 dead. And the Philistines capture the ark as well. This, this box that represented God's presence. And while they capture the ark, they kill Hophni and Phinehas in the process. Verse 12, a man out of the Israelite army escapes from the front line, comes back to where the old priest Eli sits, informs Eli that Israel have been defeated, that his two sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead, that the ark of God has been taken. And in his shock, Eli falls from where he's sitting and he breaks his neck and dies. Meanwhile, Phinehas' wife, One of the men who were carrying this ark, which represented God's presence, who was heavily pregnant, when she hears that the ark has been taken and her husband is dead and her father-in-law is dead, in her distress, she goes into labor and she dies in childbirth. But just before she dies, she names her child Ichabod. Look at verse 21. It says, and she named, this is Phineas' wife, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and because of her father-in-law and her husband and she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken it's a tragic story with much death and also a precious and an important piece of furniture the ark taken by the Philistines And in the past, when the ark had been used to fight, it had brought victory. So why in this instance were the Israelites so heavily defeated? To the point that a child was named Ichabod, the glory has departed. Why would God allow this to happen? We don't have time to look at all the other times that the ark was used. 
But in those other times, the leader of Israel, whether that was Moses, whether that was Joshua, they sought God first. And they asked God to bring the victory. And God would have told them, for example, in Jericho, God met with Joshua and told him, I have given Jericho into your hands. They sought God first. Yes, the ark was there. It represented God's presence. But they sought God's face. I want to tell you what the problem was in this story. I believe the key is in verse 3. Let's read it again. This is what they say at the end of verse 3. This is their solution to the problem. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us. And when it cometh among us, it will save us out of the hand of our enemies. Not God. The ark of the covenant. It will save us. A lot of it. A lot of us. No mention of God. There was no acknowledgement of sin. There was no appeal for mercy from God. Instead, what they decided to do is bring the ark and the mistaken notion that the ark itself was what would make the difference. That if they have the ark, then God is duty-bound to show up and to defeat their enemies. You see, in the other occasions when the ark had been carried, it brought victory because they had spoken to God first. And there's an application here for the child of God, and there's also an application for the person outside of Christ. And I want to take these applications one at a time. Firstly, I want to speak to the child of God. Isn't it so often that we hear of God doing great things in other places? And we so badly want it for ourselves, where we are. And I've heard so many saying God is moving in certain parts of our world or in certain parts in our country and people say we need to go there, we need to see what they're doing and we need to replicate what the people are doing there and then God will move and he will do great things where we are. You hear people say if you get the method right, if you get the formula right in our church, copy what's happening elsewhere, well then God will start moving in a mighty way in our local church. We need to get the method right. When we get on this way thinking that there's some method or some formula which we can make God do his work if we do it in that way and a sudden revival will break out, well, I've got news for you, it doesn't work. That's not how it works. First and foremost, who we need is God. You see, we can misplace our faith in good things. You can talk about good gospel singing, I love it. Don't get me wrong, I love good gospel singing, but that's not what saves You you could bring in a good, vibrant speaker. You could bring a gifted preacher and and you hear people saying, if you get the formula right, if you get it all right, look what God's doing there and this is all that they're doing and God will move if we do that too. And people are asking the question today, well, how can we get our church to grow? How, how, how? That's the wrong question. It's who. Who? Who is the source of growth? Who is the source of life? Who is the one who sustains the witness here at Greens Baptist Church? I want to tell you something. It's not a pastor. And praise God, it's not a pastor. It's not elders and it's not a deacon. It's God. I remember hearing about another pastor who got up early, very early in the meeting, to meet with, in the morning, to meet with God. He got up long before you and I would have dreamt of opening our eyes. And this pastor, he was a pastor who was greatly used and continues to be greatly used by God. 
And when I heard about his method, I thought, well, maybe that'll work for me. And I got up and I sorted myself out a few times. I tried it and got up early and maybe I woke up a few hours later, the coffee still there, falling asleep. Or I was exhausted throughout the day. You know, I can just hear God looking down from heaven and saying, Ichabod, Ichabod, I miss the truth of what that pastor was doing by focusing on the method. The truth is he spent quality time with God. It's God we need, not a method. Can I ask you, dear Christian, in the meeting this evening, how's your fellowship with God? Is the glory still in your life? Or are you losing the glory by focusing on what you're doing for the Lord, these good things, the method? Well, I'm heavily involved in the ministry here at this local church. Look at all I'm doing. But are you seeking for, to, to you, for the Lord to use you in what you do? I wonder, could the Lord look down on you and stamp over your life? Ichabod, the glory's departed. You're just doing works for yourself. I have a great interest in revivals. I think you know that since I arrived here. Especially in our islands here in the UK and in particular what happened in the Isle of Lewis after I visited there. We could think about what happened in that island. There was good singing during the time of revival. There was good preaching. There was a great preacher came along, Duncan Campbell. But do you know what marked that revival? They sought the Lord. They sought the Lord. And can I tell you, that's what we need to be doing, seeking the Lord, seeking deeper fellowship with the Lord. Or can I ask, are you just going through the motions? Dear child of God, if we want to see God moving, we must get back on our knees again. And we must get back into the word. It's not skip the word of God and give me the formula. It's get on your knees and ask God to move. The Israelites discovered that they were putting their faith in an empty, lifeless box. If you're putting your faith in Christianity and not Christ, well, you'll find that Christianity is an empty, lifeless box. It's Christ we need. He must make the change in you and I. I wonder in your life at the moment, could Ichabod be stamped over it? The glory has departed. Your fellowship with God isn't as it should be. Well, praise God, if you're saved tonight, your relationship with God will never change. Once saved, always saved. So on the authority of God's word tonight, I want to ask you directly to your heart, how is your fellowship with God? Are you putting your faith in a system, in good gospel singing, whatever it is? Or is your fellowship sweet with the Lord? Or maybe Ichabod, the glory has departed, is what we could say of you. But maybe you're here tonight and maybe you listen online and at no stage have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. And actually, there's never been a relationship with God. I wonder, could you have a misplaced faith? You know, the Israelites, they misplaced their faith. You know, according to the King's College London website in 2022, just under half of the population of the UK believe there is a God. 49% of people in the UK believe there is a God. You know, when I read that this week, that shocked me. In 1985, the percentage of people who believed in a God was 75%. And now it's dropped to under 50% of our nation. It's a hugely damning statistic. And certainly gives an explanation for the, graphic, the rapid spiritual decline in our land. But I would say it's most likely, if you're listening tonight, that you're finding the category of believing in God. 
Believing there is a God is all well and good. But it's not head knowledge that the Lord is looking for. The book of James tells us that even the devils believe and tremble. You see, it's heart knowledge that the Lord is looking for. For many of the 49% of our nation who believe there's a God, when pressed to explain what it means to believe in God or what God means, it very quickly becomes apparent that for a significant number of people, God doesn't mean the true God of the Bible. Many people who say they believe in God don't immediately think in terms of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not thinking of a God who is the creator of the ends of the earth. They're not thinking of a God who has declared the Lord Jesus, who has declared that the Lord Jesus is the only way of salvation They're not thinking of a God who has determined that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And some people think they can treat God a little bit like a landlord. The landlord might not even live in the building. He might live in another building, but he has a mobile number and you can call him any time you want, especially if things go wrong. If the boiler bursts, you give the landlord a call. And that's the way people treat God. If something goes wrong in the house of my life, I'll call the landlord. Most of the days he's completely out of sight and he's not in the building and most of the days he's actually out of mind. And people don't even think about the landlord until something goes wrong and then they say, I better get the landlord. And the honest truth is if you never first have repented of your sin and placed your faith in the work that was done at the cross of Calvary, God does not hear your prayer. I will say that again. If you have not first repented of sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, you can call out to God and all other things in this life. When trouble comes, when you pray, he does not hear your prayer. The first prayer God will hear from you is the prayer of repentance. How do I know that? John chapter 9 verse 31. We read these words. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. If you think God is someone that you could come to when you're in trouble, you're very, very wrong. That's not the God of the Bible. And you have a misplaced faith. You see, without the reality of the transforming power of God in your heart, in the heart and life of an individual, you're lost in your sin and you're on your way to eternal Ichabod where the glory will never, ever be there. You're on your way to a lost eternity in the place the Bible calls hell. And God is not there. It's eternal separation from him. And you'll never experience the glory of God. And yet tonight, here you are, and you're finding the gospel meeting. Maybe again, maybe you're listening online, and you're listening to another gospel meeting, and God in his grace has given you an opportunity to hear the wonderful message of the gospel and what Christ has done, how he paid the price for your sin at Calvary, and yet you ignore it and you continue without God's glory, without God's blessing, without God's presence in your life. And Ichabod could just be stamped over your entire life. No glory. God's presence not there. Well, we need to think about this other name. Because we've asked the question, Ichabod or Ebenezer. Let's think about this name, Ebenezer. Now, we don't have time to read them tonight, but the following chapters, in chapters 5 and 6, we find that the Ark of God, which represented his presence, it's now with the Philistines, and it gives the Philistines nothing but trouble. It's a very interesting read, and when you go home, read those chapters and see the trouble that it causes the Philistines. 
And they decide that they want rid of the ark and they want nothing to do with the ark. And instead of just sending it back to the Israelites, they say, well, we'll get two cows and we're going to, and what we're going to do is we're going to set it here on a crate and, and the cows will just take the crate wherever it goes. And if God is God, it will go back to the Israelites. Well, I want to tell you something. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. And those cows took that ark straight back to the Israelites. It came in. And there's a full study in those chapters in themselves, but that's for another time. But the ark was returned, and the Philistines had destroyed Shiloh, where it was originally kept, and now it stays in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. And during that time, the people are encouraged by Samuel to repent of their sin. And in chapter chapter 7 and verse 4, these are the words we read. And this is Samuel speaking, and he says this, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods, and then he goes on, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the people of Israel, they they gather together as a big group, and they begin confessing their sin, finally. They're returning to God, and they're on their knees, and they're calling out to God for his mercy and his grace. And they're in a state of repentance and worship before God. And the next thing is the Philistines hear of this great gathering and they think that the Israelites are preparing for war. So the Philistines, they come in to fight. And great confusion, God causes great confusion among the Philistines and they're defeated that day by Israel with God's help. The Lord's glory had returned. And it wasn't done by Israel's schemes and plans. It's what the Lord did. Look at verse 12 of chapter 7. This is where we find Ebenezer. After this victory, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped. The glory of God had returned and they recognized that this victory was not their own. It was the victory that God had won. Can you see how God works, dear friend? It hasn't changed today. Dear sinner friend, if you want to know know Ebenezer, God's presence and help in your life, you must first confess your sin. You must first look to Calvary where the Lord Jesus took the punishment for your sin and he shed his blood to pay the price for your sin because of his great love for you. He opened up a way for you to have a relationship with the living God, to experience the glory of God and to know peace with God and to know God's help in your life. And he can save you from this eternal Ichabod, this eternal lost, this lost eternity. And surely if this story in the Bible is to teach us anything tonight, we don't approach God on our terms. We approach God in his terms. And the only way to approach him is to first admit that you're a sinner and you're in great need of a saviour. How is it in your life tonight? Are you struggling with the guilt of your past sin? The Lord Jesus Christ has paid for that sin at Calvary. Is your life a mess? You don't know where to turn. Turn to Christ tonight. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, well, Peter, I'm just doing fine. You're relying on your happiness and your finances or your family and you don't feel the need for the Lord. 
Well, let me tell you, if you continue to live that in that way, you could end up with the glory of God departing for all eternity. And you'll march straight into a lost eternity. I don't know why God put this message in my heart tonight. But could I ask the child of God a question? Maybe you've been backsliding for a while and nobody knows about it. Ichabod, the glory has departed in your life. Your fellowship with God hasn't been there for a long time. Glory gone in a dark place. Even tonight, you can just take that step. It's one step back to Jesus. You can restore your fellowship with him. Can I ask every person in this room tonight, what is your life's experience at the moment? Is it Ichabod? Or is it Ebenezer? Has the glory departed? Was the glory ever there? Or are you knowing God's help and presence in your life each day as you trust in the finished work of Calvary? Knowledge that one day you'll stand in eternity saved by grace alone, in Christ alone. Why not in these closing moments of our meeting this evening commit your life to the Lord Jesus and let his glory fill your soul. Maybe it's a case just that you need to return to the Lord. Well, why not pray that prayer that the psalmist prayed, return unto me the joy of thy salvation. Why not raise your Ebenezer here tonight and say it was here that the Lord met with me again and his glory was restored unto me. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing a hymn that speaks of this Ebenezer We'll stand to sing and remain standing for a closing prayer. It's come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. The second verse says this, if we can bring it up, David, thank you. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Maybe tonight you need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. The Bible tells us he's like a shepherd out looking for a lost sheep. Maybe tonight you could be that lost sheep that he finds. And I'll tell you the passage in the Bible that tells us that story tells us there'll be great rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents.